And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. We're talking about Minnesota politics this hour and broadcasting live from the state capitol. Thanks for tuning in. There's a little more than a week to go now before the legislature has to adjourn. Today we're going to talk about what the DFL-controlled House has done so far and what they have left to do. Who better to join us first than the Speaker of the Minnesota House, DFL Representative Melissa Hortman of Brooklyn Park. Madam Speaker, thanks so much for coming by today. Pleasure to be here. Let me begin at the end, because your plan is to end the session early, Thursday of next week. Um, that's four days ahead of the deadline when you have to end. Uh, is that still the plan? That is. It's a tough time of year for, for legislators to be here when they have uh, children who are graduating from college out of state, their weddings out of state. And because we have a very slender majority, we have to take up the bills when we're full strength. Um, people might not realize, but four days at the end of a legislative session, it can be like uh, four weeks, I mean, in the normal universe. Uh, Can you really afford to to give up that much time? It's a really different year because we have Democrats in control of the Senate and the House and the governor's office, and we've been working collaboratively. There is uh, nothing standing in the way of finishing on May 18th. We had the earliest budget targets that I think have ever probably happened in Minnesota history in in recent years, um, at least, uh, maybe as long as 50 years. So as of March 21st, everyone knew how things were going to end. At this time of the season, when we had divided government, uh, Senator Gazelka and I were still hunkered down with Governor Walls trying to come up with budget targets, and all the conference committees were just waiting for their numbers. They've had their numbers um, since March 21st, and so that's why we're ready to go. Is the Senate on board with that? Well, you know, we are very respectful of each other's needs. On the bills, they have uh, not a vote to spare. And so when we look at the final product, when there's things that a certain senator has difficulty with, we'll work on it for as long as we can. And when we get to a stopping point, we, we can't go on because they can't lose any votes. Similarly, in the House, with 70 Democrats and 68 required to pass a bill. When uh, we have an absence, it's a headache for the Senate as well. So we're working together as a team. Well, let's talk about some issues. Um, The Mayo Clinic pushing back hard against a couple provisions in the big health bill and nurse staffing requirements and a health care affordability board. Um, I know that some of your members uh, feel very strongly that those those measures should be in the bill. So what's going to happen there? Well, we have two entities that are major assets in the state um, who are at odds right now. The nurses who really do put the care in health care. I think most new moms want to bring their um, nurses home to with them uh, when they bring their baby home. And many of us who've been in the hospital and been cared for understand that it is the nurses that make the difference in our recovery. And so it's very important to listen to what they're saying about uh, concern about sufficient staffing to take care of the patients. They don't want to be in a situation where they don't have enough nurses on a particular unit to give people the, the care that they need, the quality of care that they need and that they deserve. On the other hand, we have the Mayo Clinic, which is a Minnesota asset that is known throughout the world and really has done our state proud in terms of the quality of medical care that they provide and the the um, attraction of talent to our state. So we're hoping that we can come up with a compromise that both the nurses and the Mayo Clinic can live with. Mayo Clinic is 
got some tools that they use on uh, what we refer to as the mothership down there in, in Rochester. They have a, a very good application of this acuity tool where they, you know, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis can assess the, the nursing needs. But not every hospital in the state has that. What nurses really want is a voice at the table. So when hospital administrators are talking about how many nurses are enough, that they have nurses at the table and that they're listening to nurses on how many nurses is enough. So do you think you can work out something that will be acceptable to all sides here? I do. I mean, we've had a lot harder issues that we've worked through. Are there any issues in any of these big bills that are being considered by conference committees right now that you see as real uh, ones that are really tough to crack or, or is everything fairly in line? Things are really coming into sh the shape they need to pass. I'm very, very pleased that the House and the Senate and the governor agreed on very substantial investment in early education. That bill is done. Very substantial investment in uh, our K-12 system. That bill is done. They'll be meeting at 3 o'clock today to go over the details. And when we look at the bills that have already passed and gone to the governor's desk, uh, the higher education bill is just absolutely transformational in terms of arresting that declining enrollment that you were just talking about on the news on NPR and getting uh, students who can't even imagine going to college that green light that, no, if your family is very poor, you can think about going to college. We will help you go to college in Minnesota. So I think there's a lot of fantastic pieces moving forward, and we're, we're at the end where all the pieces of the puzzle are falling into place. Well, let me ask you about uh, another um, bill and some funding mechanisms in the transportation bill, because the House version was originally passed with a 75-cent delivery fee, and I think it was a three-quarter percent increase in, uh, in the uh, – three-quarter of one percent increase in the metro sales tax to fund transportation going forward. Uh, Senate bill had a smaller sales tax increase and no delivery fee. So do you have a sense right now where that's going to come down? Well, the real challenge for us as Minnesotans is to figure out how we are going to fund our transportation system moving forward. We all know that the gas tax is declining in its purchasing power. For one thing, it doesn't adjust with inflation. It's static. We have to go in as the legislature and adjust it if we want to increase a penny a gallon. And because asphalt and concrete and rebar cost more today than they do when we last increased the gas tax in 2008, we are losing purchasing power every year. On top of that, cars are getting more efficient, and we are shifting to cars and trucks that are run by natural gas and electricity. So we have to figure out how are we going to replace that mainstay of funding our transportation system, the gas tax. And in the House, we did send the delivery fee to conference committee because when you look at how things are changing, how society is changing, how should our tax code change to match that? And the delivery fee is a, a pretty good replacement for the gas tax because things that are arriving at our homes that we used to drive out to pick up and we paid for the roads every time we got on them via the gas tax. So we should also continue to contribute as we have more and more things delivered to our homes. So my understanding is that there's some version of the delivery fee in the transportation bill and the conferees are working that out. I don't think that the entire shape of the transportation bill is complete yet, but I know the conferees are working almost around the clock at this point to finish up. How do you respond to people who say, well, you know, the state has a $17.5 billion surplus. Why, why are you raising any taxes this year? 
We spend about four and a half to five billion every two years on transportation in the the base budget. When you look at tab fee revenue, gas tax revenue, motor vehicle sales tax, it goes into this constitutionally protected fund, and that's what we're spending on roads and bridges. That has been static for a very long time. So as we have increased population and safety needs that we'd like to address, it's not enough. So when you look at $5 billion being spent about every two years, a $17.5 billion surplus would not have the impact that we need over the long haul. We need sustainable investment in the transportation system. The other thing I'd say is that $17.5 billion surplus provides us a golden opportunity to take a real step forward in so many other areas of the budget. We are behind a lot of the rest of the country in providing preschool for our children and uh, voluntary all-day, everyday kindergarten. So um, we need to to make the investments in all across the system. So whether it's higher education, a lot of the one-time money went there, whether it's bonding to build some road and bridge projects and some wastewater infrastructure, we just can't take the entire surplus and plop that into transportation. We've got to think about what do our kids and our grandkids deserve for us to have invested in the system that they will inherit. Talking with uh, Minnesota House Speaker Melissa Hortman now about the uh, closing days of the session, which apparently we're in right now. Uh, uh, Speaker, let me ask you about the uh, metro area sales tax because the big housing bill that is on its way to the governor uh, also has a sales tax increase in it. I think it's a quarter of a penny in the metro area. Uh, If you do that and you do the, the transportation sales tax increase, you know, there are some who say the sales tax is, is one of the more regressive taxes. Is, is that the best uh, tool to use to raise some of this money? Well, what's important is to have a system that pays for things a little bit at a time. So one of the parts of our system that people hate the most is tab fees, because when you go in and you're writing a big check, if you have a nice car, if you have a newer car, that is harder for people to accommodate. We have heard from Minnesotans that they'd rather pay for these things a little bit at a time, a penny on the gas tax here, a penny on the gas tax there, a tiny increment of the sales tax. Um, But also in the House tax bill, we had some countervailing balances. So I think if the conference committee will adopt some of the revenue that the House brought to the tax conference committee, that balances things out. We looked at millionaires who pay lower uh, effective sales, income tax rate than the rest of us, paying a little bit more there towards their fair share. So if we have some of those taxes in the transportation arena that are a little bit more regressive and we balance that off by some revenue in the tax bill that's more progressive on net, we hope that when we leave this session, we'll have a more progressive tax code. Well, uh, since you brought up the tax bill, I mean, you had that higher bracket on the top earners and you also had the uh, the tax designed to get uh, at corporations that stash money overseas. Um, it sounds like the Senate has rejected the that tax on the corporations, and they didn't have the higher income tax to start with. So where does all that stand now? Well, I understand that the very savvy Senate tax chair has a number of replacement uh, options for the revenue that she brought to conference that she no longer supports. I think the important thing is Well, one of the mechanisms to get that hidden offshore income is off the table. There are many other mechanisms to get at tax havens. And so if somebody has a filing cabinet in the Grand Cayman and they're paying taxes or not paying taxes in Grand Cayman and they're really doing business in this country, 
even the Republicans in Congress took action against that. So in 2017, Trump and the Republicans in Congress created a tax on, on corporations called Guilty. The Republicans came up with a name. And what they sought to do was bring income back into the United States to be accounted for in the United States. And all around the world, people are taking action to do this. There's similar efforts underway in Europe as well, because it doesn't benefit anybody for there to be these tax havens. And for the jurisdictions where the economic activity is happening, to not get the tax revenue to support the services that actually support these corporations. So I think that there are a number of mechanisms that the Tax Conference Committee will be looking at to get at that hidden income. So um, you think that'll get done within the next couple of days, the tax bill? I'm hoping that the Tax Conference Committee will finish by Monday night. Uh, I believe that for them to have the bill in the shape that we need to pass it on Thursday, that they need to have it done by Monday night and get their spreadsheet and all their details off to the reviser so that they can write it up. The governor proposed a bigger tax rebate than the House or Senate have passed. Uh, is he still pushing for that? Is that still a possibility that that rebate would grow by the time the final version comes out? No, we've settled in on $1.25 billion for the rebates, and I think it's looking like that will be approximately $250 per person, um, to, including $250 per child, up to three children in a family, so that a family of four, if I'm doing my math right, would get $1,250. That's too quick for me. I'd have to write it down, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, so the, the, the rebate is going to stay at about 250 That's right. Okay. Sorry, uh, that was a family of five would get $1,250. That sounds right. Yeah, if a family of four would be $1,000. Um, another DFL priority, paid family and medical leave. Uh, in the conference committee now, uh, I, we talked about pushback from the Mayo Clinic on some of the nursing staff stuff. I mean, businesses have been pushing back on this too. The uh, the Chamber of Commerce put out a, a statement the other day that said uh, the DFL majorities are anti-business, anti-employer. Um, how? What do you think about that? And what do you think about that criticism in particular? Well, I think it's kind of silly because people take leave now. And people come to work sick now. We know all over the world that paid family medical leave is a standard of industrialized countries, except for in the United States of America. And there are 12 or 13 other states who have already passed a paid family medical leave program. And in those states, the voters' reaction, my understanding is, why didn't you guys do this sooner? After a global pandemic, I think we're all clear that we don't want our work colleagues coming to work when they're sick. We would prefer that they take the time off and stay home. But right now, people have an incentive to come into work sick and get other people sick because it's an economic choice for them of, can I go without this paycheck? And too many lower-income workers and middle-income workers cannot afford to take time when they really need it. So this is just a modern way of living in the world. It's it's not... Um, an unusual proposal. I think the United States of America is just far behind. And we know in Minnesota that families value being able to take care of each other. So it's well past time that we put the paid family medical leave plan into place. Many of the companies who belong to the Chamber of Commerce or the Minnesota Business Partnership who are unhappy with the paid family medical leave proposal offer these benefits to their high-wage employees. And some offer it to all of their employees. 
but it's a real disadvantage for the smaller businesses and the medium-sized businesses who can't afford to offer this benefit. So just like we have an unemployment insurance system where if you were to get laid off or I were to get laid off, we have an opportunity to apply for unemployment insurance. It's not up to our employer to pay us once we're unemployed. It's a system that takes care of folks. The paid family medical leave system will work exactly like that. It will just apply when someone has a baby or somebody gets cancer or somebody has a surgery and needs some time to recover. And do you see any problem with passing that this year? I mean, it's in conference right now, as I said. It's in conference right now, and I understand they're making good progress. I think that the House and the Senate authors have worked very closely together through the whole process. So I think that their conference committee should be not that dramatic. And when would that start? When would people be able to take advantage of that? I don't know if they've settled in on a date yet. I think we're looking at 2025, 2026 kind of time horizon. When you get the criticism from the the big business groups and they they say you're anti-employer and anti-business, does that make a difference? Does that have an effect on you? Well, the Chamber of Commerce in Minnesota, you know, back a, a decade or two ago, used to be kind of a, a nonpartisan group that really worked with both Democrats and Republicans. And in recent years, they've become kind of, at times, more like a branch of the Republican Party. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think that impacts some of the advice that, that we get. But there's a lot of folks in the Chamber of Commerce that we're working very well with. We work very closely with Target and Best Buy and General Mills. Uh, taking their input in and incorporating it in as we change the program. Uh, and some other measures that came up this week, and are actually the bill is going to come up on the Senate floor today, the public safety bill. Um, these are two gun provisions. The House has passed them. Uh, one would expand background checks for private gun transfers. The other one would set up what they call a red flag law or extreme risk protection orders to allow courts to take guns away from people if they are deemed to be a danger. Um, are those going to happen this year? Those are going to happen. My understanding is that the Public Safety and Judiciary Conference Committee wrapped um, last night. They signed the conference committee report at 2.32 a.m. So we can take it up 12 hours later, 2.32 on the Senate floor today. And those provisions were both in there. I think people talk about mass shootings a lot, but we don't talk as much about suicide and where the red flag red flag law makes the most difference in people's lives is are in those cases when a loved one is contemplating suicide. So in Florida, they put this law into place and they have a Republican legislature and a Republican governor and a Republican sheriff's association and it's my understanding that the law is doing a lot of good. So um okay, that one's going to pass. And uh let me ask you about uh, legal marijuana cuz that's another issue that a lot of people are talking about. The conference committee met for the first time this morning. Um, Republicans have said on this issue, on other issues, you're going too far too fast. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I think that the Republicans have decided that the political value of saying that Democrats are not bipartisan is more valuable than actually working with us. We have tried very hard to work with Republicans on a number of things. I think most clearly you can see in the bonding space And even though we've been more than reasonable and really solicitous of their input and their involvement, 
I think that the talking point that they have that Democrats are moving along without them is something that they place a lot of value in, more value than actually doing work with us for the people of Minnesota. Now, that's not the case everywhere. So, for example, on the cannabis legalization bill, uh, State Representative Nolan West from the Republican Party is on the conference committee. My understanding is he's been very helpful through the whole process as the bill traveled through different committees this year. And I would I would hope he continues to provide good input on the conference committee. You brought up the bonding bill. So let me ask you about that quickly. Uh, is the plan now to just go ahead with a cash only bill because you can't get the Senate, the Republicans in the Senate to play along? Unfortunately, yes, because if we were able to do a bonding bill with uh, Senate Republicans, we would have $1.5 billion in general obligation bonds. We would have $393 million in cash, and we would be doing that together. But when we have to go cash by ourselves, we can we drop down to $1.3 billion being available for this year's bill. So instead of doing a bill with us and ending up with um, actually on net, we would have had room to do another seven hundred million in cash with Republicans, potentially some more GO with Republicans. So, uh, you know, more than $2 billion bonding bill, we're down at 1.3, depriving our communities of projects that they need, depriving Minnesotans of great construction jobs to do this very needed work, just because Republicans want to be able to say the Democrats went alone. And I, I think it's very unfortunate. Just a couple minutes left here of your valuable time. So let me ask you some big picture questions. Um, there was a lot of generational change in the legislature this year, a lot of racial diversity among the new members of the legislature. What difference do you think that has made in the work that's been done this year? Well, I think we have more voices at the table. We have better representation of all of the faces of the people of Minnesota. And representation matters. There's a perspective that different uh, voices bring to the conversation that sometimes hasn't been heard before. I would say the biggest change this year, though, is that we have Democrats leading both the House and Senate. So when we go to conference committee, instead of having people with really very opposed uh, philosophies and visions of the world, we have people who are working together to solve problems. And that's why I think you see a less dramatic uh, time period here at the end of session. Um, how will Minnesota be different over the next couple of years because what you have done during this session? I think this is really the Minnesota Miracle 2.0. Having both the trifecta and the $17.5 billion surplus has allowed Democrats to invest needed resources in uh, health and human services in our nursing homes and care for folks with disabilities, very substantially in early childhood education, child care, and our E-12 system, higher education, having free college for those lower-income families for the first time in Minnesota history, and then having the ability to go ahead and move forward on a bonding bill and address some of those unmet needs. It's really, I think, going to be a transformational session. The things that we've already done that we aren't even talking about anymore are going to change so many lives. Driver's licenses for all, restoring the vote to folks who have served their time in their community. Those are deeply meaningful things for the families that they affect and for the individuals they affect. And then preserving reproductive freedom in state law, finally taking meaningful climate action, and after years and years and years, finally taking action on gun violence prevention. I'm really proud of all the work that the members have done this year, and I think we're going to sit back and look at this session and say this is one of those sessions that will have an impact for 30 to 50 years. That's DFL House Speaker Melissa Hortman of Brooklyn Park. Thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your thoughts. Thanks for having thoughts. me. 
And this is NPR News. I'm Mike Mulcahy. We continue now from the Minnesota Capitol. Republicans in the Minnesota House are in the minority and have had to mostly watch as the DFL majority passes its agenda this year. Here to give us the Republican perspective on the session as time begins to run short is the minority leader of the House, Representative Lisa Damoth of Cold Spring. Representative, thanks so much for coming. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here with you. Is it fair to say things are not going the way you you hoped they would be going at this point? I think that is fair to say. Actually different than we expected the election to be if we would actually go backwards. But um, it is moving through very, very quickly. And um, with some concern, some areas that we haven't been given a voice on the conference committees. Which, what's the biggest concern or the biggest place where you wish you would have had more of a say? You know, I think... It would have been great to have been given um, an opportunity, even if it was just one person on environment and energy, but especially public safety, as that has come through. Um, When you look at geographically, even though the margins of the majority are very slim, geographically, Republicans represent about 48% of the state. And so having that voice shut out, even in conference committee, was disappointing, to say the least. Well, let's talk a little bit about that public safety bill, because one of the things uh, added to the uh, bill in just the past couple of days were these gun uh, reg- regulations, one that would expand background checks on private uh, gun transfers. The other one, what they call a red flag law, would allow uh, um, law enforcement to take guns away from people who are a danger to themselves or others. Um You put out a statement after that was put in there that uh, you didn't like that at all. Why not? You know, I think it's important that our communities are safe and that Minnesotans are safe. And what we have said all along is if we would enforce the gun laws that are currently on the books, keeping the guns out of the hands of criminals, we're going to be further ahead. Now, I know that mental health is a huge issue. And there are already things in place where there can be that hold that can be put in. And so adding more um, laws that would actually prevent or inhibit law-abiding citizens for their gun ownership is not a direction we have to go. But public safety overall, keeping our communities safe, increasing penalties for fentanyl, for carjacking, all of those things I think all Minnesotans are looking at. Well, let me, since our time is relatively short here, let me ask you about some other issues. Um, the Democrats uh, have been raising some taxes. They have a metro area sales tax in the transportation bill and a delivery fee in the House version. The conference committee is still talking about that. Um, we heard uh, the Speaker of the House say that, uh, you know, there needs to be an ongoing source of funding for transportation and that this one-time surplus isn't enough for that. What do you think about that? With an almost $19 billion surplus, I don't think Minnesotans are expecting us to raise taxes. We have to cut government, and that looks at all of government spending. When you think of the paid family leave that's being proposed, everyone wants to make sure that employees are taken care of. One of the most concerning provisions in that bill, as it was heard in the House and the Senate, is growing government. So why would we have to grow government by over 400 full-time employees, create a whole new IT system when we could have looked at the private market 
and we wouldn't have to raise taxes to keep growing the bureaucracy. So, you know, raising taxes is kind of a non-starter. It looks like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Metro area sales tax, um, increasing fees. Even, you know, I went and got my fishing license on Sunday. I know next year, as proposed, that's going to cost more. I think we have to look at ways to reduce spending rather than just piling on Minnesotans and making it harder to do business, to live here, and to afford what we actually need. You know, uh, speaking of taxes, there's the big tax bill, too, that's still being negotiated. And it came out of the House with an income tax increase on the top earners and uh, this tax on corporations that put their money overseas. Um, I'm assuming if Republicans were in charge, those taxes would not be on the table. We we wouldn't be increasing taxes in that way, not with the surplus. Again, we need to look back. Why do we have the surplus? Yes, some of it is one-time funding, um, but the ongoing structural is what we have to look at. Those those increases would not have been on the table. Um, the speaker also said that uh, the rebate is pretty much where it's going to be at about $250 um, per person, per individual, um, based on certain income limits. Uh, how do you think that's going to play now with the big uh, surplus uh, if, the t- if the rebates are smaller than what even the governor proposed? Well, you know, the governor came out with an amount earlier that he wanted it to be more. Minnesota taxpayers were saying, give us our money back. Our seniors across the state were saying, please end the tax on Social Security. We shouldn't be taxed twice. Um, those things didn't happen. And I was talking with another uh, constituent last week and knowing that $250 potentially of a rebate, his words, Central Minnesota, big whoop de doo is kind of what he said. I think Minnesotans are looking at that and thinking it's actually ridiculous from what was proposed. You know, the other thing is, is it going to the people that actually paid the taxes? I can't answer that. So what can Republicans do about all this? Um, what Republicans do, we will continue to um, raise the issues that we have concerns on. We will continue um, talking about ending that tax fully on Social Security. Nursing home funding was another thing that we knew was going to be very important. Our nursing homes across the state are facing um, workforce challenges, um, they're not able to afford what they're doing. They're closing beds. Um, and we need to make sure that we are funding nursing homes to provide for the most vulnerable in Minnesota. Those are the things that we're going to be talking about. Social Security tax relief gets some funding going to nursing homes. Reduce taxes for Minnesotans. Don't raise taxes. And those are top of mind. Uh, behind that comes, of course, education and public safety, all of the things that matter to all of us across the state from north to south, east to west. Let me ask you another question about uh, the paid family leave because um, KSTP-TV just did a poll on it and it showed uh, that is the idea of it and even the way that they have it set up as a, as a sort of like a payroll tax and, and employer and employee kick in, that that's very popular. I think it was north of 60% supports that. Um, so why is it wrong for the Democrats to, to push ahead with that? So as I had mentioned earlier, people support Um, trying to help families when they're in need. And, you know, if it's the birth of a child, caring for a loved one, whatever that might be, I think 
most Minnesotans would support that. I think with the poll and the numbers you were mentioning, I don't know that all the people responding to that poll know the details in there, that it would be growing government, that it's not, it could be up to 24 weeks potentially that an employee would be out. There's no reduction in the number of employees. So that small business that just has a few employees that are trying to do the right thing and stay in business and and give their employees some type of benefit would be forced into a state-run program. And that would not be necessarily good for that employer or the employee overall. Um, and so I think looking at it more instead of a mandate as an opt-in or letting the, the private market come and take over rather than the government trying to run it. On the bonding bill, Republicans in the House put up enough votes to pass a bonding bill. Republicans in the Senate didn't. Now the Democrats say they're going to push ahead with a cash-only bill with maybe not so many projects in Republican-held districts. How are you feeling about that right now? You know, we did put up the votes there, um, and we got it over to the Senate, and the Senate did want to have some things in exchange in return, and I don't fault them for that. I think that was a good way to go. That wasn't met, but what was heard in the Joint Capital Investment Committee this morning in their cash bill, I would have to say I don't believe that is serious. I'm very concerned about that. Why would you strip out projects that were important if you're going to invest in the state and put it into nonprofits and other things that um, don't really handle the needs of the state? I would say um, stay tuned. Hopefully those conversations are going to continue. All right. We're almost out of time. Uh, What's the best outcome of this session for you? You know, the best outcome is that we would reduce taxes not increase taxes on Minnesotans, um, hold to our promises that all of us made during the campaign time, um, and doing what is actually best. I don't see, I know there's supposed to be the deadline of the 18th that we're um, finished, or for the end of session. I know it's also very concerning as things are being rushed through or pushed through, sometimes mistakes are being made, um, but testimony and committee has been limited throughout the session. So to have an early start, the 18th instead of the 22nd. I don't know if that's serving Minnesotans well. Lisa Damoth, the Minority Leader of the Minnesota House, I know you have another appointment. Thanks so much for coming on. Good luck these next few days of the session. Thank you for the opportunity. Good to visit with you. This is Politics Friday. I'm Mike Mulcahy. And here are some of the voices we heard around the Capitol this week, starting with American Indian Day on the Hill. Look around, look at all of us, and look at the good work that we are doing. Look at the rows of leadership that have been working tirelessly for generations and generations, just trying to get a piece of something to bring back to their communities. I'm the one Native woman in the Senate, and I would ask every woman in this room right here, right now, in this rotunda, to think about how you can represent. We need you all to start stepping up with us, coming here to help us make those changes, and if you aren't ready for that, do it in your own communities. This research has the opportunity to provide perpetual reparations to indigenous communities. We know through the research that was done on the Permanent University Fund that this money was invested back into the state of Minnesota. We know that the state of Minnesota was built on the Permanent University Fund and the taking and the theft of our land. As Senator Kunish mentioned, as Misty Blue had mentioned, we suffer. We suffer every day. 
And I think now is the time that that suffering needs to end. This fund is $120 billion. And so when we as indigenous peoples are fighting tooth and nail for, for a little bit of funding, when we know that there are these permanent accounts that are accruing billions and billions and billions of dollars, that when we ask for funding for our capital projects, we shouldn't have to ask, it should just be given. Right now we're struggling to get employees and then knowing that I'm going to have to train somebody in for a part-time position, the cost of training and getting people up to speed to be able to take positions. We try to cut that down because that could be up at 20000 a year just by filling positions for people to be with you full part-time. So I'm concerned on how this is going to affect my bottom line. How am I going to be able to continue staffing as it's a struggle already? Minnesotans are looking for a starter home and coming up empty. There's such a scarcity of affordable rental housing that family homelessness is up uh, over 200% in Hennepin County and 500,000 Minnesotans can't afford their homes. Uh, the, the housing market has failed in greater Minnesota. There's simply not the workforce housing being built that we need and Minnesota has one of the worst racial homeownership gaps in the country. We as a legislature could say, you know, hashtag not our problem. This is a, an issue that shouldn't be addressed at the legislative level. This isn't our role. Uh, of course, that's what we've largely been doing. Oink, oink, oink. Yet again, we have another failure from the DFL this session. Despite a record budget surplus, we have the Democrats coming to us again, raising taxes. There's nothing new here, members. There's nothing historic. There's nothing ambitious. In fact, it's the same old, same old. Same old tax increases, same old liberals, same old Democrats. Wow, sometimes the more words a person uses, the less they actually say. <laughs> and passionate words making specious arguments don't, Mr. President, don't mean much. Democracy works best when we are all involved. Your vote is your voice in the process. Uh, we are here today to make uh, 50 new American citizens uh, from 26 different countries. Or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Congratulations, you are American citizens. <clears throat> I'm so excited. It's been a long journey. <laughs> so what she said that um, it takes it coming over here from Afghanistan, it was a long journey. For 13 years, it took her two years to uh, pick up English and be prepared for the citizenship test. Uh, she's, uh, she's, she said that I'm blessed and I'm so happy and proud of myself and proud of this country, what this country is offering me. Just some of the voices we heard this week at the Minnesota Capitol. And we will end our Friday program the way we usually do, by checking in with our state capitol reporters, Brian Baxt and Dana Ferguson, Thanks to both of you for coming on. Usually I uh, start by asking you about what's been going on this week, but there's so much happening right now. I'm just going to start by asking you what's happening today. Brian, the Senate is supposed to vote on this public safety bill mm -hmm. that has those two gun measures in it. Does the DFL have the 34 votes they need to pass it? I asked the senator, uh, the chairman, Ron Latz, that just this morning, and he said he's quite confident that they have it. And usually they don't bring these things to the floor if they're going to fail. But like you said, this week 
even today has felt like a month of, of <laughs> items because there's so much going on. The marijuana bill, the pay, paid family leave bill, uh, these budget bills are all getting sealed up. And so this is where kind of the, the, the big decisions are coming down. Dana, they say they want to end early. They do. Uh, by this time next week, we might be taking a massive nap um, if, in <laughs> fact, they actually get done by the May 18th goal that they've set. Um, I think we've all expressed our, I don't know. Skepticism? Skepticism, uncertainty about that. But uh, as the speaker said earlier, they're pretty convinced that they can button this thing up before then and get all the budget bills across the finish line. Well, I hope we're not taking a nap at this time next week because we do have a program to do next week. So Sleeping live. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll just, maybe it'll just be me. <laughs> um, uh, on the public safety bill, mm-hmm. what else is in there? What else does that bill do? Oh, there's quite a bit. Uh, it, it would uh, include some restrictions on no-knock warrants, making them pretty much rare. I mean, they're, they're decreasing right now, but they would be – it would be – pretty high bar in order for a judge to issue a no-knock warrant. There's items in there about the pardons board. You know, right now it takes a uni- three uh, members of the pardons board, the governor, the, the Supreme Court, Chief Justice, and the Attorney General all have to agree to get a pardon. This would change it to two as long as the governor is part of that hmm. uh, vote. The governor plus one. Correct. There's there's changes to sentencing law. So people who are in prison could see their sentences reduced if they take part in in rehabilitative programs that are offered, whether that's educational or otherwise. Uh, there are items in there related to the juvenile justice. Uh, boy, it, it, you, there is a lot in these bills, and, that, and that's what makes it hard for the average Minnesotan to keep up this time of year, because there are things that change shape from what mm-hmm. they were originally proposed, and, and we're trying to figure out what is going on with these pieces of legislation as well. Yeah, and they're passing quickly, and it might take us a little while after the session is over to figure out just exactly everything. Yeah, and, and getting back to Dana's point about you know May 18th being this goal, uh, one reason why it, it might be achievable this year is usually at this time of year you have, when it was split government, you have them staring at each other, holding legislation back mm-hmm. and not and, – and, you know, holding out to the very last minute. Now they've been kind of pacing them more. There's still probably going to be a little bit of gamesmanship at the end where one chamber might not want to let go of a bill just to make sure that the other chamber does everything that was agreed upon. But one party rule allows them to kind of pace this out in their preferred fashion. Mm -hmm. And Dana, uh, the uh, conference committee working on paid family leave had its first meeting this morning. They did. They approved some of the same and similar language between the two bills, and they didn't meet for very long today, but they're starting to come to some sort of agreement about how much time would be allowed for that paid family or medical leave and just what that system is going to look like, um, assuming it passes. And that bill has drawn opposition from some of the big business groups in the state. Oh, some businesses support it. Right. Um why do you think it's it's such a, a contentious issue? In talking to business owners and the chamber, um, their concern is really around being able to find uh, replacement workers who are going to be there to fill the gaps if they have one or two people at a time who need to take parental leave or go care for a parent or something. Um, and especially in the current economy, they're concerned that there just are not enough people out there that they could find to fill those gaps and still be able to stay open or operate at the level that they are now. Um, we hear from some small business owners that, hey, it's 
the expense is falling to them right now to provide some kind of leave, so they want to have the option to pay into the system so that when the time comes that someone needs the time, it's the system paying for it, not just them. So it's generating a lot of strong feelings and blowback from some in the business community, but uh, definitely looks like it'll be getting across the finish line soon. Yeah, Brian Bax. Yeah, and, and this came up a lot in the Senate debate, which was Monday. I mean, <laughs> which feels like ages ago. Feels, and and uh, the, the the main sponsor of that bill, uh, Dr. Lee Mann, the senator from uh, Edina, said that people are going to take leave now if they have a, a, a crisis situation in their household or if they're you know just had a baby, they're going to take leave. And so this is just formalizing and making sure there's a financial security there. So this replacement worker issue is a big issue, especially in some of these specialized fields. Uh, But according to supporters, those people might have been off the job anyway. Mm -hmm. Another uh, issue that's been talked about a lot, legal marijuana, Mm -hmm. the first conference committee for that bill today. Yeah, they got off to a pretty brisk brisk start uh, just a few minutes in. They started adopting uh, compromise language around some of the areas, not the big areas of dispute. The big areas of dispute are going to be around how much it's taxed, whether local governments will be able to step in and say, we don't want more than so many retailers or we don't want retailers in these places, you know, uh, whether it be on certain areas of Main Street or near schools, whatever it have you. And then around expungement of criminal records, how fast that happens. There's still some concern about what this does to the the already legal hemp industry, which which we've seen blossom in the last year since hemp edibles became uh, a thing. And so that that committee still has some work to do. But the the sponsors said they're going to get a bill to the governor this year. They said that there is no reason that they feel like this has to spill into 2024. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not... Uh as deeply ingrained in all this as you guys. So I look at the big picture here and I see a couple of these bills that seem to have some thornier issues than others. And the the, the ones I see are the health bill with mm-hmm. these provisions that the Mayo Clinic and other hospitals are complaining about and the tax bill where they they have a different mix of which taxes they want to raise and, and how they're going to figure that all out. Um, do you think... Either of those problems are serious enough to kind of derail either of these bills. I mean, I don't, I don't think so at this point. I mean, I think there's generally at the leadership level a high interest in landing this plane smoothly. They've had a, a session where they've gotten a lot done. It has been interesting to watch some of these committees, especially the tax committee, where you have a a, a veteran long timer in Ann Rest as the Senate chair, and a relative newcomer in Aisha Gomez, the House tax chair, who's only been here a few terms. They've been kind of testing each other out a little bit, you mm. know, like like uh, seeing how far one or the other is willing to go. But some of the decisions at some point might get out of their hands. If if there's a sticking point, leadership will step in. I, I was surprised to hear uh, uh, House Speaker Hortman pretty much say that the rebate has been settled. We haven't heard that in mm. the conference committee. So if it has been settled, it's news to me. But uh, there are still some big areas of dispute in that bill. She also said uh, she wants to see that bill get done, wrapped up by Monday night. That, that's right. And usually that's the last bill to close. And one of the reasons is, is everything is germane to it. So if they have to do any cleanup for other bills that have passed or things that come up at the last minute, they tuck it into the tax bill. So even if they finish it, they might not lock it down. And that might be one of the last bills you see pass off the floor. 
And what about this health bill, though, Dana, with the nurse nurses staffing and the medical board expense board? Um, that seems a little thornier to me. Right, and in addition to just being a massive and complicated bill, uh, they've had some pieces toward the end that have generated blowback from the Mayo Clinic, uh, from other hospitals, that they're worried about a provision that would create sort of staffing, minimum staffing committees to talk about that at various hospitals. Um, The nurses are concerned about folks being in ratios right now on the floor where they have a ton of patients, they don't feel like they have the bandwidth to adequately care for everybody that they're in charge of. And they're worried about losing their licenses over that. And so they feel like having these committees set up where they can talk about what is the right staffing level we should be shooting for and how are we setting some kind of accountability for making sure that we get there. Um, the hospitals don't like it. Mm-hmm. They're worried about what it'll mean. Um, so we keep hearing there's going to be some kind of compromise, but it's not yet clear what that will look like. Stay tuned, I guess. Dana Ferguson, Brian Baxt. We're out of time. Out of time. Out of time. Thanks so much for being here. That will do it for our Friday program. Our producer is Matthew Alvarez. Technical directors this week, Josh Savageo and Jess Berg. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be here again next week with or without the legislature. In the meantime, have a great weekend. We'll see you again then. I'm Mike Mulcahy. Thanks for listening to the Politics Friday podcast on NPR News. If you want to catch the show live on the radio, tune in each Friday at noon. Join us for interviews with lawmakers and conversations about what's been happening at the Capitol and beyond.